All right, so open your Bibles to Matthew 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. And today we're talking about judging others. Now, you'll often hear that when someone describes a good king, a king who is really good, that king is described as being both wise and gracious. Wise and gracious. And Jesus is the ultimate of kings, the king of kings. And so he is the ultimate in being wise and being gracious. Now, to be wise means that the king is wise in his judgments. And so Jesus is the king over all the earth. And so he is the wisest in his judgments, which means he's just really good at judging people. Uh, it's his thing. Like, this is, he's the king of kings. And so he's really good at this. And there's a really important image I want you to jot down in your heart right now. And that is Jesus as being the king upon the mountain. Now, this is important, and especially when you look in the Old Testament, because Jesus right now, he's giving us these words from up upon a mountain. The sermon is called the Sermon on the Mount. And as he's doing this, the image we're supposed to have in our minds is that this Old Testament view of Eden is considered the mountain garden of God. And so by Jesus being up on this mountain where he is, he's saying, I am bringing you the words from Eden to the earth. I'm bringing the words of heaven to the earth. So the image I want you to hold onto right now is like Jesus is up in, on his throne. He's hanging with his tribe, you know, his father and the spirit. But he's hanging by himself because he's one God in three persons, but he's with his tribe. And he's up there. And he's seeing humanity failing at this judgment game. And it's really not a game at all. So Jesus is sitting there as the good king. And he looks over to his left, to his father. And, uh, they're, you know, they're watching. They're holding out for the coronavirus. So they're watching Netflix. And he turns over to his father and he says, Hey, Dad, could you put uh, Tiger King on pause? I got to go and teach these guys a lesson about what it means to use good judgment or to judge others. So, but... That's not actually the image that I want you to have. The image that you should have is Jesus as the king upon the mountain who comes down to teach us what it's all about. What, he, he's coming to teach us this whole judging others thing, and he's trying to give us a new perspective on how we need to approach this whole thing. And I need you to know this right now, that if you get this wrong, if you don't hear what Jesus says to us today, it's going to really mess up your life. It's going to mess up the lives of others, and it's going to mess up eternity for you. And so this is really serious stuff that Jesus is bringing us today, and so it's a very important message. Um, so we're in Matthew 7, 1 through 6. I'm going to read it for you. It says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce... You will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not 
throw your pearls before pigs. The best way to summarize this is to see that there are two opposite errors that we are making in our judgments of others in one third way. So the two opposite errors. First is prideful judgment. We see that in verse 1. And then in verse 5, we see the opposite, which is careless neglect. So careless neglect is to, you've heard this probably a bunch. You've probably even said this before. Who am I to judge them? What right do I have to judge them? And so, and, and so essentially what you're saying, though, is, man, this person is just destroying their life. But I'm going to remain silent about it, and I'm just going to let them continue to destroy your life, to destroy their life. So that's careless neglect. Now the other, which is prideful judgment, is equally as harmful. And this is as if you're saying, hey, I don't have any sin in my life or at least not the way you're sinning, and so I'm going to come, and I have rights to judge you for that. So these are two opposite errors, prideful neglect, or no, prideful judgment, careless neglect, but the third way, the way that Jesus wants to get us to today, is loving discipleship. Loving discipleship. Now, what does that mean? Well, we have a mission at our church, and our mission is to write stories of new life in Christ. Now, that's the poetic way to say it, but the more descriptive way to say it is that we want to make disciples who make disciples. And here's what that means. To make a, for someone to be a disciple means they're loving God and loving others. And so your main mission in this life is to help others love God and love others. So your kids, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, you have a mission on this earth, and that mission is to help people around you love God and love others. It's to help them become who they're made to become. What Jesus is getting at is ironing, sharpening iron. And Jesus is after creating people who are friends that are fighting for each other. Not against each other, but for each other. And, and by the way, it's very rare to find this type of person in your life. So if you have found this type of person, you have been blessed. Congratulations. That's a beautiful thing for you. So... If you want to be this kind of person to others, there's four steps. Here's what they are. Jesus is going to lay these out. So the first step is hear the warning. Second step is look within and up. Third step is lovingly disciple or look out. And the fourth step is be wise and patient. So step one, hear the warning. I want you to look back with me at verse one and two. And it says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, judged, but with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, if you heard it right, that should terrify you. Your judgments of others are incredibly dangerous for you. Your judgments are potentially reaping wrath down upon your own head and these fire judgments that you are throwing at others are coming back and singeing you. Now, I want you to imagine that you have this phone. And this phone, anytime that you say or you think something where someone should live a certain way, where you're, you're saying, man, I can't believe someone's doing this, that all of a sudden your phone turns on and it starts recording you and what you say or what you think. Well, then at the end of your life, you appear before God and God says, hey, you know what? How about this? Let's just say God says this. I'm only going to judge you based upon the conditions or the standards that you held upon other people. 
And so this begins to happen, and you say, okay, that sounds fine, that sounds fair. And so God plays out everything that you said, and then all of a sudden on the screen, all the ways that you have failed to live up to your own standards are displayed on the screen, and you realize, ah, I am guilty of doing the very thing, the very standard that I've been holding other people to. And so you realize that you have just rained down judgment upon yourself. And what I want to say now is I think you need to take an honest look. I need to take an honest look. We all need to take an honest look and realize that we put ourselves in a really bad situation. And we are... We're drowning in judgments that we have made to others the same way like a scuba diver goes all the way down, down as deep as they can go. And they've been hanging out down there and they haven't been watching their clock and they realize that they're out of air and they are too far down to get back up to the top. And that's what we're doing when we are firing these judgments upon others around us. So we got to be honest and say that, well, most of us, have developed this habit of judging others that we don't even realize that we're doing it, and every time we're doing it, we're raining down this fire upon ourselves. And you take gossip. Gossip is confessing other people's sins to someone else who can't help them at all. So when I hear people gossiping, it makes me incredibly sad because here's what essentially they're doing. They're not only destroying somebody else with their words, But those very words are actually destroying themselves because they're creating standards to which they need to be held to that they are not meeting. And so we've created this incredibly horrible problem for ourselves. So we need to hear it. We need to hear this warning and take it seriously. And if you will take it seriously, what you're going to do is you're going to say, ah, before I judge someone else, I'm going to look within and then up. So... Second point, looking within and then up, Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So humanity, we have this problem where we're really quick to look at what everybody else is doing wrong, but we're very slow to see what we're doing wrong. We're blind to our errors. C.S. Lewis says that we would be shocked at what we're capable of given the right circumstances. So I want you to... I'm going to tell you this. Here's why I think we don't look within. Because we're scared of what we're going to find. So alcohol is a depressant which means it's depressing your reality. So if life is hard, you're going through a difficult time, and you, and you start drinking, it's going to depress the horrible time that you're going through. You're going to be escaping to some degree, but alcohol is not good for you. Now, same thing with judgment. Here's what I think our judgments are of others. Our judgments are like moral alcohol, meaning that when we judge others, we're trying to escape from our own moral failures, thinking if we could judge people enough, destroy them enough, then we will in a way lift up ourselves, but it doesn't work. We see that we're just raining fire back on us. So look at verse 3. It says, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Then in verse 5, it says, You hypocrite, you must take the log out of your own eye. So in other words, we are so drunk 
on judging others that we're failing to see what's actually going on inside of us. And so it's destroying us. So Jesus is saying, stop, look within before you cast any judgments on others, and then you're going to find that you have a log that you need to actually deal with. Now, many of you have bad breath, and you don't realize that you have bad breath, and it's likely really bad because you haven't gone out today because you're in your house, and this person next to you is thinking, if they are, someone is, someone is next to you, they're thinking, man, this person has bad breath. But the person next to you, what they don't realize is that they have bad breath too. So if you'll just, if both of you or whoever, just hold your hand up to your mouth and breathe and then smell, you're going to realize that you have bad breath and you need some gum. And so you're going to get some gum. Uh, and if you will just look within and then deal with the log, it will cause you to do something. It's going to cause you to stop you from looking at other people's sins, but look at your own. And then it's going to cause you to look up for grace. And that is incredibly important for you to look up for grace. So you look within, you see the log, and you say, oh man, I need to find grace from God. So, I want you to remember this. Jesus is both, well, he's the perfect king. So he's wise in his judgments and generous with his grace. This is incredibly important for you to hear. He is wise with his judgments and generous with his grace. So if you're having a hard time saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner, then you're a blind man who doesn't know his own sin. If you're having a hard time just really taking a good look within and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner, then you're not realizing that judgment is potentially being directed, directed right towards you. And so if you realize that, you say, God, please, 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 don't direct your judgment towards me, but away from me. And then when you do that, there's something else you realize. Well, the problem is God is just. He's a good God, and he must, just, he must give just judgment, which means if he's going to create the world that we long for, he must be just. And so that means we have a huge problem. So then we say, God, have mercy on me. Now, here's the deal. God will either judge you for your sin, or he will judge Christ for your sin. One or the other. You have to make that choice. You have to make that pick. Who, will you be judged for your sin, or will Christ be judged for your sin? So, if you find yourself having a hard time being generous to others and gracious to them, then it could be you haven't actually tasted the grace of God. God is wise in his judgments, but he's generous with his grace. So, this whole judgment talk makes you kind of squirm in your seat. But I want to tell you what else it could possibly do for you. If you will be open-minded enough, this judgment could make you feel that you are in a major problem. And it will make you cry out to God for grace. And the greater you realize that God is a just judge, 
the greater you will realize he's generous with his grace if you will go to it and go to him and rely on that grace. And that's the kind of stuff that makes you want to worship God. Otherwise, he's just a, ah, he's an okay God. But when you realize his, how gracious he is, that's the stuff that makes you want to worship him. So every other religion says you have to earn your way to God. And Christianity says you can't do it. You have to rely on grace. Because he took the judgments that were meant for you, and he placed them upon himself on the cross. And that's why Christians are so obsessed with the cross. It's the instrument used for their rescue. So if you find yourself seeing other people sin, and not being able to look at them with grace, it's because you know too little of God's grace. It is not on, it, the taste is not on your lips, or it has never been there before. And if you don't start looking within and then up, here is what will happen. You will continue to fire judgment upon others, and that same judgment will continue to come down upon you. So there's a saying that says, for every look at your own sin, look at the grace of Christ five times. Which means you see your sin, you see your guilt, and then you look five times at Christ. Well, I want to introduce another saying to you. For every time you look at someone else's sin or you judge others, for every time you do that, look five times first, look within. And then that would mean, if you're doing the math, that would mean 25 times you're looking at Christ. Now, don't get hung up on the numbers. Just make sure you have a proper understanding of looking up and looking within before you look out at others. So now, you might be saying, wait, does this mean that I am actually allowed to judge other people? And the answer is kind of. To be a Christian, to some degree, there is a good way that you are called to judge other people. In a loving way. Um, in a way that says, I want to help you become who you're made to be. Which means there is a right way to judge people. So, this is our third point, loving discipleship. So, verse 5, it says, Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, say you got a friend, and your friend has a speck in his eye, or he's got dust in his eye. It would be very rude of you to leave it there, to not help him get it out. So, Jesus, in this verse, he's making sure that we aren't falling into the error of careless neglect. So he doesn't want us in prideful judgment, and he doesn't want us in careless neglect. And the sad thing is that many people read these verses and miss that Jesus wants you to actually take the speck out of your friend's eye. It's pretty rude of you to leave it there. And we, people will say, who am I to judge? And the answer is, you're their friend. You're there for them. You're there to fight for them. Yes, you need to look within first, and then you need to look up for grace, and then you are in a position where your posture actually has a sincere love for your friend, and then you can humbly speak into their life. So I help my kids grow because I love them. And if they're doing something that's bad for them, I don't say, well, who am I to judge them and then let them go and do what they're doing? I don't do that. I never say, who am I to judge them? Because the person that I am is their father, and so I'm meant to help them the best that I can. The same is true for your friends. You're a disciple maker, and so that means you love your friends and you seek to help them. Now, if you look in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, you'll see that the church 
When, when someone is just messing their life up and messing someone else's life up, the church is meant to help them and approach them and call them out in a very loving way. So, and then, so, so judgment is necessary to a degree, but it's the right judgment. John 7, 24 says judge with right judgment. So if our judgment is out of a sincere love for others, it's good. But before you judge them, you've got to hear the warning. You've got to look within and then look up. And then you're ready to lovingly disciple others. And I'm telling you, if as a church we can commit to lovingly disciple each other, we're going to be a changed church. In fact, one of the greatest failings of the modern church today is the failure to lovingly disciple those around us. The job of the pastor is to equip everybody to be able to lovingly disciple others, to help them become who they're made to become. And if we'll do that, you're going to see some amazing things happen. Now, some of you are like, you're really good at this. You're really good at like calling people out. But, but perhaps it's a prideful judgment. And here's how to tell if it is for you. How does it go when people approach you in a loving way to correct something? And if it doesn't go well for you, then it's probable that you are actually giving prideful judgment to others. But if we could learn to lovingly disciple each other, it's going to change everything for us. And we're going to see everybody around us growing like wildfire. Now, the last step is to be wise and patient as you are lovingly discipling others. Now, this is a beautiful one. This is about the art of disciple making. The art of knowing how to give people enough space when they need it and knowing when to push people when they need to be pushed a bit. And it requires wisdom and it requires patience. Verse 6 says, do not give dogs what is holy. Look at this with me. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. All right, now what in the world does that mean? Well, there's been debate among scholars of what this actually means, but it likely means that if, that if someone doesn't know the grace of God, they've never tasted the grace of God, or if they're not tasting the grace of God in this moment, they're going to be like a dog that's going to turn or attack you, or you're going to throw pearls of wisdom to them, and they're just going to trample those pearls of wisdom right under their feet. Because in that moment, they have not been captivated by the grace of God. And it, and it could likely mean also that, let's say that there's someone who just became a Christian, and they've been a Christian for two months, and you're lovingly being there for them, but you're calling them to level seven Christianity. Like, not that there's levels, but let's just pretend someone's at a two, you're calling them to a level seven, and what you're doing is crushing them under the weight of these expectations that you are placing upon them. So we've got to use wisdom, and we've got to use patience. Now, I want to be careful... Because let's be honest, the grace of God can do some amazing things. And so sometimes it's appropriate for you to call somebody to live in such a way that it looks impossible for them to do and then just see what God does. But the point of this verse at its core is to be wise and patient as you are lovingly discipling others. Helping them become who they're made to become. So a helpful way to think about this is to say to yourself, okay, this person might need some space right now, so what do you do? You pray for them. 
you show them that you love them and you accept them and you are there for them no matter what. And perhaps it means even that you're confessing your sins to them a bit. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced, I mean, this is a beautiful way to just be a loving disciple maker is confess your sins to the person that you care so deeply about. And here's why. I don't know if you've experienced this before, but you're in a group of people and some bold person has the audacity to confess their sins. Someone did it. And then what happens is everybody just starts spilling their guts because they feel like they're normal. Like, okay, this is a normal thing. I'm, I'm sinful. And they start talking about their sin. And what begins to happen is people begin to feel known and accepted and loved. And then that's a perfectly beautiful, ripe relationship for this kind of thing to happen, for real discipleship to happen. So, hear the warning. Look within, look up for grace, and then look out to lovingly disciple, but be patient and wise as you're doing this. And while those steps are absolutely essential, don't miss the main thing that you got to do along with those steps. And that is you've got to go to the one who is upon the mountain, the king who is upon the the mountain. So what does it look like to go to him? What does it look like to go to the king who's upon the mountain who completely changes you absolutely from the inside out? I'll tell you, it looks like falling in love with the one who upon the cross, the king upon the cross, who said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Now, if you understood what I just said, it should drop you to your knees. Because for Jesus, when he says these words, he understands what's coming next. He understands the cost of what it takes for the Father to forgive them. And the cost is this. The king who is upon the mountain comes down from the mountain and goes up upon the cross. And upon the cross, to purchase our forgiveness... The fiery judgments that were meant for us, the, that were meant for you, are thrown down upon his head on the cross. And when you realize that, that he did that for you, that's the kind of stuff that makes people say, I'm giving my life for him. That's the kind of stuff that makes you want to worship him. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the billionth time over again. And the degree that you discover what he is willing to do for you is the degree to which you will change. And then you will look at other people who sin against you and you say, of course I can forgive you. If he's forgiven me and he got that for, my forgive, for me to be forgiven, then of course I can forgive someone who sinned against me. If he, and, and you also say this, someone sins against you and you realize if I have escaped from judgment because he was judged in my place, then these same people, the same person who's sinning against me, actually, I could tell them about the king upon the mountain who came down to be judged in my place so that they can be changed and rescued by him as well. We have a good God. Do not delay in crying out to him for grace. He will give it to you.
and you will become, by that grace, uncharacteristically wise and loving and patient and an amazing disciple maker. And then what you're going to find is at the end of your life at your funeral, there's going to be people showing up, not because you are prideful in your judgments and not because of careless neglect, but because you lovingly discipled them and you cared for them. And you pointed them to the king upon the mountain who came for you, who died for you, and who rose for you and is sitting at the right hand of God and is waiting to come back to make all things right by his judgments. So he's a good king. He's good and we should go to him. The one upon the mountain who we find because he first came and found us. Let me pray. God, We don't want to be careless and neglectful of others. And God, we don't want to be prideful in our judgment, but we want to love people sincerely. And as we're following you, Lord Jesus, we want to bring people along with us. And so help us to learn to do that and to do that well. Help us to be patient and to be wise as we do it. God, scoop us up. Scoop us up as we're running into judgment by our words of others and stop us dead in our tracks. Cause us to look within, to look up for you, to look up to you for grace and to discover a grace that changes everything. God, we pray this in Jesus' name.